Hello, people of the way. Blessings in Jesus. If you have your Bible, please open up to Joshua chapter 10, the book of Joshua chapter 10. We study the Old Testament on Wednesdays, and then on Sundays, we study the New Testament. And so here we are in Joshua chapter 10 in verse 1. Now it came to pass when Adonai Zedek, king of Jerusalem, Adonai Zedek here translates as the sovereign Lord of justice, prosperity, and equity. And this particular Adonai Zedek, king of Jerusalem, this is the first mention of Jerusalem in the Bible. Uh, the first mention of Jerusalem as Jerusalem in the Bible. Uh, and remember what's happening is Israel, they are inheriting the land. Now, if you've been walking with us for a while, you re- re- remember our study in the book of Deuteronomy. It's not because you're awesome. It's not because Israel is awesome. It's because of the wickedness of these peoples. You know, when, you know, they have a choice to make. The, the door of mercy and grace, it's open for them to choose the Lord. And, you know, some of them chose wisely. Some of the surrounding peoples, as the Lord made himself known, some of them chose wisely and aligned themselves to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, whose name was changed to Israel. Some of them didn't. Now, when it comes to Jericho, almost all of them did not do that. The one who did, uh, 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 Rahab, and those in her household. You know, a little safe haven in Jericho. It was with uh, Rahab. And so now we see this Adonai Zedek. He's king of Jerusalem. And it says here in verse 1, Heard how Joshua had taken Ai and had utterly destroyed it, as he had done to Jericho and its king. So he had done to Ai and its king. Now, Remember, Jericho, it was one campaign, one campaign. And when I say campaign, just a military campaign, uh, uh, Israel against Jericho, one campaign. But when it comes to Ai, it was two campaigns. And we know exactly why. You see, the first campaign was a failure. Now, it wasn't a failure for any other reason than Achan. Achan who made his choice. Now, if you're listening for the first time, make sure you listen to all of our studies in the book of Joshua because you'll understand and learn more about Achan and how his choice was very detrimental to the camp of Israel. Don't forget, Israel took casualties because of Achan's choice. And so the two campaigns, Jericho was just one campaign. Ai was two campaigns. Israel suffered defeat. Israel took casualties. And then when Achan was no longer in the camp, you know, Achan was dealt with. And when I say Achan was dealt with, I don't say that in a carnal sense, like, you know, deal with him. I mean, like he was dealt with in a manner, according to the law, still opportunity for him to be right with the Lord. And he didn't do that. And so, you know, make sure you listen to our study in Joshua 7, because you learn all about Achan's choice and, you know, how it, how the, the impact that it made to the camp of Israel and the reason for their defeat. And so what's happening here is this king of justice, Adonai Zedek, this king of justice and equity. When I say justice and equity, you know, we're not talking about the Lord's justice and equity. I say justice and equity for a reason because, you know, it, it's, you know, this king, who is king of Jerusalem, has a 
a temporal reign of Jerusalem. And in this temporal reign of Jerusalem, he has, you know, his his name, how it translates is sovereign Lord of justice, prosperity, and equity. Now, there are prophetic implications to what we study here. Major, major prophetic implications of which we'll find out more in our studies here. But this king of equity and justice, here's what's been happening. He hears about Israel. He hears about Joshua. Now, you know, of course, you know, we have our studies that we've had in the book of Joshua, but, you know, in the book of Joshua, you see a war footing of Israel. You see battle after battle. You know, with Jericho, we see victory. With Ai, we see defeat. And in the second campaign, the surge, we see victory. And victory comes when there is rightness with the Lord. And so we continue in verse one. And this is what the, what, what the king of Jerusalem, what he saw, and then how the inhabitants of Gibeon had made peace with Israel and were among them. Now the peace that was made, Gibeon with Israel, that was through Joshua. Because remember the Joshua and the elder, the, the, the rulers, they told Israel, they said, listen, you know, don't kill them. Because they made peace. There's a covenant that was made with Joshua and, and Gibeon. And this peace with Israel, it's through Joshua. And so the king of, the, the king of Jerusalem, Adonai Zedek, and his administration, they hear everything that's happening. They hear what we studied last week. They see what's happening. Gibeon now has peace with Israel. And look what happens in verse 2, that they feared greatly because Gibeon was a great city like one of the royal cities and because it was greater than Ai and all its men were mighty. So Gibeon together were mighty. Together, remember the, the, the certain uh, townships, but you know, that you have the Gibeon, but then you have the certain townships, things that we studied last week, but in Gibeon, there's also a level of humility because they desired peace as a result of their fear of the Lord. And in their fear of the Lord, they make peace with Israel through Joshua. And so now we see that these, the king of Jerusalem, he sees what's happening, you know, like where before, you know, there was just the township of Gibeon. There's, you know, the Gibeonites and, you know, different peoples and, okay, just a town of people. But now he sees once they make peace with Israel, now it's a different ball game. You see, and from their perspective, the king of Jerusalem, and he started to fear greatly because what happened is like, well, you know, like, you know, Israel, they're a force to be reckoned with. And now Gibeon, because they have their, you know, they, 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 they were, uh, uh, they were a great city and, you know, they, they were greater than Ai and all it, and its men were mighty. And now they're allied with Israel. Whoa. And so the king of Jerusalem, he was kind of freaked out. And so we see here in verse 3, Therefore Adonai Zedek, king of Jerusalem, sent to Hoham, king of Hebron, Piram, king of Jarmuth, Japhia, king of Lachish, and Debir, king of Legon, Eglon, saying, now notice what happens here. There's another alliance that starts to form. Remember we studied last week the alliance that was forming. Now we see this alliance forming in verse 4. This is what the king of Jerusalem says. He says, Come up to me and help me. 
that we may attack Gibeon, for it, it has made peace with peace with Joshua and with the children of Israel. Now, we see in chapter 9, there's an alliance against Joshua and Israel that was formed. But, you know, meanwhile, in our study in chapter 9, this alliance formed. But then meanwhile, we see that the Gibeonites, they make peace with Joshua. They make peace with Israel through Joshua. But then here we see this alliance forming against Gibeon because of Joshua and Israel. Now, as a little side note, not to get off topic, but, you know, when I think about these peoples and these, these surrounding uh, uh, regions of uh, uh, Gilgal and Gibeon, you know, and all these different peoples, you know, what I think about, what it makes me think about is, you know, tribal living. You know, I teach from America and within America, we have our, you know, native tribes. We have like, you know, the Sioux, the Cherokee, Apache, Iroquois, Shoshone, Choctaw, Navajo, Arapaho, Comanche, Zuni, Cree, Seminole, much, much more. And a lot of times people think, well, you know, the peaceful people, the Native Americans, they're peaceful people. But when you look at history, you see, not all peoples were peaceful. Some were allied against one another. A lot of them formed alliances against other. It's tribal. Much like we see with tribes in like Afghanistan, for example. You know, you see tribal regions. But, you know, you know, we can look at history books and look at, you know, the Native American tribes. We can look at, you know, at current times and look at certain regions of the world where there's tribal living. But in this day and age, there is a pseudo-tribalism within cultures, a neo-tribalism. You know, there's nothing new under the sun. Nothing new under the sun. And we say pseudo-tribalism and neo-tribalism for a reason. Because there is coming a time when there will be alliances formed that will be opposed to Israel. It's already happening. But it's going to get worse and worse and worse and worse. Alliances formed against Israel. Coalitions, confederacies formed against Israel. Alliances and confederacies against Christians. It's already happening. And that's why we say, you know, pseudo-tribalism and neo-tribalism because there's nothing new under the sun. And just as we see here in the Old Testament in our study in Joshua 10, just as we see these alliances that are forming against Israel and Joshua and the Gibeonites, remember the mixed bag of Gentiles? We see these things according to the flesh in the Old Testament, but according to the Spirit as New Covenant believers, we see this, we study these things, and as an example for our admonition, we understand that, wow, a future time is coming when the world will be allied together as one and their leader will be the Antichrist. Their leader will be the Antichrist. A ruler, a sovereign, if you will, of peace and prosperity, justice and equity, attempting to be king of Jerusalem. You see, 
When you hear us say how the Old Testament interprets the New and the New interprets the Old, when you have an understanding of the Old Testament, you know, we read certain passages in the New Testament and it's like, wow, you know, there's so much correlation with the Old. And then also when we read the Old with an understanding of the New, it's like, wow, there's so much correlation with the Old because the Old does interpret the New. The New does interpret the Old. And in so doing and studying the Old and New Testaments and the Old and New Covenants, understanding rules of engagement within the covenants, we understand deeper and deeper and deeper the nature of our Lord. You see? It's beautiful. And so we see here, we there's this new alliance that is forming. Now, me personally... And I hope for you too. Now, when we read these, it's, I would prefer much more that these kings, you know, the king of Jerusalem, and, you know, he goes to the king of Hebron, the king of Jarmuth, the king of Lachish, the king of Eglon. He goes to these people and forms an alliance. What I would prefer is that they make peace with Israel through Joshua, just like the Gibeonites did. That's what I would prefer. I would prefer that Jericho and Ai, that they made peace with Israel through Joshua. But the ball was in their court. They choose for themselves. And we understand that leadership matters because, you know, the wrong leader can bring harm to a people. I mean, look at Jericho. Look at Jericho. Jericho's defeated. And when we see the defeat of Jericho, understand that there was safety in the house of Rahab and those with her. You see, I would prefer that these peoples, that they made peace with Israel, but they didn't. The ball was in their court. The king of Ai, ball was in, ball was in his court. Now, these peoples, they could have individually made peace with Israel, just like Rahab did, just like the Gibeonites did, but they didn't. And now it's at a point where it's too late. You see? And so we see in verse 5, Therefore, the five kings of the Amorites, the king of Jerusalem, the king of Hebron, the king of Jarmuth, the king of Lachish, and the king of, of Eglon. Now, understand that they form this alliance and this confederation. They're in one accord. And they gathered together and went up, they and all their armies, and camped before Gibeon and made war against it. Now, this is very serious what we're looking at here. Very, very serious. And, you know, I say this because sometimes what happens is that we read scripture with a detachment. Don't do that. That's not good. We read scripture with the detachment. And, you know, I say don't do that. But, I mean, you know, the, the reason why I say don't do that is because, you know, with this understanding of you know like detachment you know it's it's like when you have an attachment in in spirit a proximity to these events there's a deeper understanding of what is happening here you know like for example like in in verse five we see that there's this coalition this this confederation they're in one accord and they're they're camped before Gibeon and to make war against it 
Now, like you read verse five and it's like, okay, you know, they make war against it. Okay, you know, you, we got our verse in, we read our verse. Okay, let's close the Bible. Let's go have lunch. You know, it's like we have this detachment. But if we go, if we get in a time machine and we go back in time and we're in the midst of the Gibeonites and you look out the window and you see armies and armies and armies, not to, they're not there to shake your hand. They're there, they're, they're, they're there to kill you. They want you dead. You see, that's what I mean. It's like we read the, with a detachment. It's like you don't get the, the nitty gritty. You don't get the meat and potatoes of the implications of what is happening here. Because it's like, okay, we, we're done with the verse. Okay, let's close the Bible. Let's go have lunch. And, you know, let's, you know, we'll have fellowship. And okay. But when you read with an attachment, just like we say, we get in the time machine, we go back in time, and we're in the camp of the Gibeonites. We look at the window, and you see army upon army upon army upon army coalitions. And these guys aren't there to say hi. These guys aren't there to play hopscotch with us. These guys are there to kill every single one of us because we've made alliance with Israel. We've made peace with Israel through Joshua. They want us dead. You see? Now, remember, the Gibeonites, they're a mixed bag of Gentiles. And understand that against them, to kill them is their own. Their own. Don't forget, you know, uh, uh, among Gibeon, we have Amorites and Hittites. Remember our study from last week? And you have these people, their their very own people, you know, culturally speaking, anthropologically speaking, you, you, you look, it's like, well, they're the same people, but they're not the same people because Gibeon has made peace with Joshua. They fear the Lord. And that's what I mean when we say detachment, how we, you know, we read these verses like, okay, you know, got my verse in. Okay, I'm done. Let's close the Bible and let's go have lunch and we'll have fellowship and, you know, speak Christianese and nothing wrong about that per se. But when there's a detachment, you don't get to the nitty gritty. You don't get to the nuts and bolts. You don't get to the meat and potatoes of the deep implications this has for us as new covenant believers because what about, you know, you, you, you're here saying, you know, let's go in the time machine and you give it and you look out the window and these people want to kill you. We're in the camp of Gibeon. You open up the window and boom, you see this, you know, a whole bunch of people, the big guys, and they want us dead. And, you know, with a detachment, it's like, okay, you know, that's terrible. Let's read on. But what about when we don't get in the time machine? What about when... You have peace with Jesus. What about when you're walking with Jesus? What about in your deep relationship with Jesus, Son of the Most High? And what about when you have peace with Israel through Jesus, because of Jesus? And you've made covenant with Jesus, you're in covenant with Jesus. And there's a coalition formed against you who's an aunt, an uncle, grandparents, kids, parents, friends, 
co-workers, and they hate you. And you're not, all you've done is you've made peace with Jesus. You're right with the Lord through his son. And what about when these people are against you? Today, they say, oh, you're so stupid. You're going to believe these fairy tales. That's what they say today. And I teach from America. But there are some, re- you know, in America, they, you know, they call us stupid or all these things. And But you cross the pond, there's regions where they kill you. You're a Christian, they kill you. You see? It's getting worse and worse and worse, and it's going to get worse. It is prophesied to get worse. And that's the danger behind reading these passages with this detachment. Don't have a detachment. It's not good. Because when you have an attachment, it's like, oh my goodness, you know, just like the time machine. We go back in the time machine. You were in the camp of Gibeon. You look at the window, and it's like, wow, all these armies formed against us. And oh my goodness, they don't want to play hopscotch. They don't want to play checkers. They don't want to play chess. They don't want to jump rope. They want to kill every single one of us. Men, women, children, women. I don't know if I said women, but you know, men, women, children, little babies. They want us all dead. And with an attachment. And also in spirit. Rightness with the Lord. But understand that these factions are growing stronger and stronger and stronger in accordance to the Antichrist spirit, eventually led by the Antichrist, and we'll get there. But you can look out the window today, and you see there are factions that are Antichrist in accordance to the Antichrist spirit, and they hate you. In some parts of the world, they want you dead. In other parts of the world, they just hate you. But in the course of time, they hate you, they hate you, they hate you. And finally, they're going to reach a point where they want you dead. Prophetically speaking. And it's going to get worse. You see? What about when people tell you? You ever had conversations with people? And they think you're crazy because you're a Christian. And, you know, they might be non-believers, but then sometimes they're Christians. And they get mad at you. They're like, well, you know, you're going too far with Jesus. Because, look, I'm a Christian too, but look, I still drink. Look, I'm a Christian too, but look, I still get high every now and then. Oh, I'm a Christian too. And look, come on, let's go to the strip club. Oh, I'm a Christian too. Let's go. Let's go worship Mary. And in your heart of hearts, you're like, no, I can't do that. I can't do that because this temple, my body, my heart, my mind, my soul, it is for Jesus. I have made covenant with him and I walk with him and my relationship with him. You take your relationship with him however you want to do that. It's between you and him. But as for me, no, like it's serious for me. And these people will hate you. They make fun of you. Oh, you're such a legalist. When somebody calls you a legalist, just ask them how. I mean, they might say you're a legalist because, you know, you're, you're, you know, you're, uh, you're doing the feasts and the festivals and all these things. And, I, you know, they would have a case. But if someone's, oh, you're a legalist, you're a legalist. You say, show me how. How, how am I a legalist? Show me how. And they say, well, you don't like to get drunk with me. 
Well, you don't like to do crack with me. Oh, you don't like to, you know, do our lines together anymore. Oh, you don't want to go to the strip club anymore. You don't want to go gambling anymore. You don't want to do this anymore. It's like, well, that's not legalism. How is that legalism? Because I don't want to be leaven. No, I don't want to be leaven. I want to be the remnant. You see? Sometimes people say, oh, you're such a legalist. You're such a legalist. And all you're doing is obeying the word of God in accordance to his word and accordance to the proper covenant. Not the old covenant, the new covenant. And all you're doing is obeying him. That's it. It's so easy. His yoke is easy. His burden is light. And that's all you're doing in the power of the Holy Spirit, in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, and from time to time, the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And that's, that's all you're doing. You're growing. You're maturing. That's it. And then they get mad at you. Oh, you're such a legalist. You don't want to go to the casino with me. Oh, you're such a legalist. You don't want to go to the strippers with me. Oh, you're such a legalist. You don't want to go worship Mary with me. Oh, you're such a legalist because you don't want a little Chablis with your meal tonight. And you're like, but especially if you're in ministry, if you're a pastor, elder, teacher, you understand the formula, man. You know, if you listen to our study on Sunday, we're in the pastoral epistles and you read that, you study that. It's like, wait a second. Okay. If the Lord has called me to be a teacher, if the Lord has called me to be a pastor, if the Lord has called me to be in ministry, no, he has certain rules. He has certain blueprints. And all you're doing is just following the word of God. That's it. You see? And so look what happens here in verse 5. These, this coalition, they're coming against the Gibeonites. And then we see verse 6. And the men of Gibeon sent to Joshua at the camp of Gilgal, saying, Do not forsake your servants. Come up to us quickly. Save us and help us. For all the kings of the Amorites who dwell in the mountains have gathered together against us. Whoa. Now, as a little history lesson, also a future lesson, the inhabitants of these regions that Israel is inheriting, Hittites, Amorites, Hivites, Jebusites, and Israel is inheriting the land. Remember, it's not because they're awesome. It's the wickedness of these peoples who had opportunity, ample opportunity to align themselves with the Lord, just like the Gibeonites, the same way the Gibeonites did. They, they, they feared the Lord and they made peace with Israel through Joshua. Now these other peoples, the, 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 the Amorites, the Hittites, the Hivites, the Jebites, they could have done it. Now it's too late. And remember, we're in the Old Testament. We're looking at rules of engagement according to the law. And in the law, do you remember our study, you know, to lead with peace? To lead with peace. Like, you know, when, when the Lord says, you know, when you go to war, there's always that door of peace. You see? But then, you know, a, 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 a peoples make peace with Israel. Okay, then, you know, don't go to war with them. But, you know, they refuse and they don't want to make peace. Okay, now, now it's time to handle business. And this is according to the flesh. This is a war footing according to the flesh. And always, always, always in intimacy with the Lord. Always. Because sometimes when you understand the covenants, sometimes he commands destruction. 
Sometimes he commands destruction. Now, vessels of the Lord need to be clean. You see? Otherwise, this the object of destruction or the vessel being used for destruction is defiled. And when that's in play, it can't happen. Now, when you hear me say destruction, that's because for this land that Israel is inheriting, it's a time of destruction. They're inheriting the land and it's a time of destruction for the surrounding peoples. It's a time of judgment for the surrounding peoples. But understand that for 40 years prior, the door of mercy and grace, it's been open because the Lord made himself known in, in Egypt. And it's been open, this door of mercy and grace, it's been open where people could have said, you know what? I fear the Lord. I fear the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I fear the God of Israel. And you know what? I'm done with Baal. I'm done with Molech. I'm done with Ashtoreth. And you know what? I want to, I want to join the camp of Israel. Now, don't forget in the law, provisions where a person who does that is welcomed. Statutes in the law for a person who turns their back on Baal and turns their face and on their face before the Lord and wants to worship the God of Israel. There's statutes in the law for them to be welcomed in and grafted into the camp. And so now it's this moment of destruction. Israel is in war footing. And these Vessels of the Lord, when it's in a war footing, according to the flesh, when it's in a war footing, a, a war footing, they got to be right before the Lord. That's why Achan is such a big deal. Because when there was not rightness with the Lord, as an assembly, as one, because of the decision of one guy, Achan, they could not defeat Ai, and they took casualties. They lost, you see. But once Achan was taken care of and dealt with, and I don't say that in a carnal sense, but once he was dealt with, now victory again. Because vessels of the Lord, they must be clean. You see, vessels of the Lord must be clean. Because the Lord doesn't use what is defiled. He doesn't. He doesn't use what's defiled. Old Testament and New Testament. He doesn't use what's defiled. Just like you hear us say from time to time, only the clean can clean. What's defiled can't clean. Because they're defiled. Vessels of the Lord must be clean. And vessels of the Lord, they do the Lord's bidding. You look at the priesthood. The, only the clean can clean. They must be right before the Lord. They must be clean before the Lord. And when they're clean before the Lord, then they can clean. Then you shift and you look at these warriors of Israel. When they're clean before the Lord, now they can fight. But then we see the result of Achan, just one guy. You see, the Lord takes 
cleanliness very serious. The Lord takes purity very serious. Now, when inheritance comes, now Israel is in war footing right now. They're inheriting the land, but inheriting hasn't happened yet. Now they're in war footing. And inheritance, when it comes, Manasseh is a tribe, has Gentile people in their midst. And the region is Megiddo. I mean, fast forward into the future and Har Megiddo has deep implications in the future, also known as Armageddon. A little, if you're Jewish and you're listening, I love you. But if you're Jewish and you're listening, don't forget that Manasseh was born of a Gentile. And if you're Orthodox, you know exactly what that means. Born first, blessed second, blessed before the sons of Jacob. Now, using the law, there are impossibilities presented. Now, I'm speaking to my Jewish friends. And if you're Orthodox, you know that this is a big deal. Using the law, it presents impossibilities according to the law. So, how, how can this be? Understand that the law has loopholes. Because what is greater than the law? Promise. Promise unto Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And fulfilled. Effectuated. Only one way. Only one. Every other way is impossible according to the law. There's only one way. The lamb without blemish. Jesus, the fulfillment of the law. A little side note for my Jewish friends, especially of the Orthodox. My rabbi friends, and I love you. But there's only one way. I mean, when you understand that Manasseh was born of a Gentile, it presents certain things, understanding that the blessings before the sons of Jacob, bless second, born first, bless second. All of a sudden, you see loopholes in the law. And it can only be explained one way. Promise. Fulfillment of the law. His name is Jesus. You see? And so all of a sudden you see these Gibeonites, these mixed bag of Gentiles, they've made peace with Israel through Joshua. They made peace with Joshua. Don't remember, the, the, the rulers of Israel, they said, you know, hey, don't kill the Gibeonites. Don't kill them. Because, you know, we've made peace with them and we have to honor our oath. And so all of a sudden, so now there's peace with Israel that the Gibeonites have. But outside the camp of the Gibeonites, you have this force against them. 
an alliance that have formed against them. And they cry out to Joshua. They say in verse six, do not forsake your servants. Come up to us quickly, save us and help us for all the kings of the Amorites who dwell in the mountains have gathered together against us. Now, remember, Joshua made peace with Gibeon. An oath in covenant. And so what do we see? We see in verse seven, So Joshua ascended from Gilgal, he and all the people of war with him and all the mighty men of valor. So a Gentile Gibeon calls out, come quickly. And Joshua mobilizes. Does that sound familiar? Just like we see in verse six, come up to us quickly. Does that sound familiar? Understanding that we see Joshua as a type of Christ. Come quickly. Let's look at verse 8 here. In verse 8, And the Lord said to Joshua, Do not fear them, for I have delivered them into your hand. Not a man of them shall stand before you. This is before the fight begins. It's over. Before the fight begins, it's over. And the Lord is saying to Joshua, Don't fear them. I've delivered them into your hand. Not a man of them shall stand before you. In verse 9, Joshua, therefore, came up upon them suddenly. You know how this translates in the Hebrew? In the Hebrew, it translates as suddenly, in an instant, quickly, in a moment, and in a wink of an eye. Now, does that sound familiar? Especially considering the fact that we've just freshly finished finished our studies through the Thessalonian letters. Prophecies of the last days. Notice Joshua comes to them and this alliance is against them, the Gibeonites, Joshua and Israel. And this anti-Israel or anti-Gibeon or anti-Joshua. This alliance is led by the king of Jerusalem, whose name is Adonai Zedek, sovereign lord of justice, prosperity, and equity. And this king has temporal reign of Jerusalem. You see, remember Paul's exhortation to us? That these things of old were written for our our admonition, our warning. There are major, major, major implications with the return of Jesus. And, you know, quite honestly, it's a very big family dispute. I mean, if you've been walking with us for a while, you remember our study in in Genesis and post-flood, the sons of disobedience and what it caused and a big, big, big family dispute. And it's settled by Jesus. Much better is for all of us to be in peace with Jesus. Much better for all of us, myself included, we're in the same boat, to be in peace with Jesus. Now, if you're listening and you're not a Christian and you want to commit your life to Jesus Christ, hit pause, listen to the message, how to commit your life to Christ. And you do exactly that. You commit your life to Jesus Christ. Now, when you make peace with him, there's going to be opposition. There will be opposition and it, it will be shocking. 
Who opposes you? Friends, family, close relatives, close family. People who you thought would be with you through thick and thin and all of a sudden you become a Christian and, you know, not run-of-the-mill Christian. I'm talking hardcore Christian. You'll see. But there's nothing new under the sun. Look at who's formed against the Gibeonites. When they make peace with Joshua, when they make peace with Israel. Nothing new under the sun. And so we look at verse 10. So... The Lord routed them before Israel or the Lord destroyed and consumed them before Israel. You see, but you, you say, wait a second. This isn't, jo- this is, this, you know, it says the Lord routed them before Israel, but it's Joshua and Israel. It's Joshua and Israel. And the Bible says here in verse 10 that the Lord routed them before Israel or destroyed and consumed them before Israel. Now, don't forget that it's Israel and Joshua. There's no Achan. Achan's been dealt with. There's no Achan. And you see victory, yes. But understand that the Lord uses his vessels. I mean, we see like in verse 10, so the Lord routed them before Israel, destroyed and consumed them before Israel, but he uses his vessels. Just like in, remember, with, with uh, Egypt, where, you know, the Lord handled Egypt. The Lord took care of Egypt. But then in future battles, the Lord says, okay, you know, Israel, you do this. Israel, you know, I'll do Egypt. Israel, you do Canaan. I'll do Egypt. You do Jericho. I'll do Egypt. You do Ai. Oh, but we lost Ai. Well, that's because of Achan. The formula wasn't right. You see, when the Lord works, when the Lord moves, he oftentimes does it himself just like he did with Egypt. But he also uses his vessels. And his vessels are his vessels, which sounds like, you know, like, you know, no duh, you know, his vessels are his vessels. But that's deep. It's not just to say, you know, somebody who's a Christian says, oh, look, I'm a vessel of the Lord. Anybody can say that. But a vessel of the Lord, there's a very specific formula, very specific recipe. Does he got the goods? Does she got the goods? Does this little boy have the goods? Does this little girl have the goods? Does this old guy have the goods? Does this old lady have the goods? And if he's a pastor, you know, is he a full package or is he, you know, package one? Now, if you're listening for the first time, it's like, you know, I don't get what he's talking about. But if you're listening for, for the first time, listen to our studies through the pastoral epistles and you'll understand more. It's very important to understand recipe very important to understand formula listen to our prior studies old testament new testament and you'll understand more about the depths of aboda aboda mishkan that's from our study in leviticus very important the lord's vessels are the lord's vessels they must be clean They must be clean. They must be pure for his bidding. What is, what is his bidding? Well, for the priest to clean, to keep clean and to clean. And if that's what the Lord is doing in them and through them, when they, you know, they better be clean because only the clean can clean. Only the pure can purify. If that's what the Lord is doing through the priests, 
or you know that is what the Lord is doing to the priest or what he desires to do to the priest but when that formula is off track among the priests they become defiled what does that say for the camp of Israel when that happens and it breaks my heart to say this but we're going to see it happen you see when the vessel of the Lord is in the priesthood, they have to be clean. His bidding is to clean. And the ones who clean, they got to be clean. But then what about when the bidding of the Lord is on a war footing? It's the same formula. His vessels, the warriors, they better be clean. Because when they're not clean, like we see with Achan, we see defeat. We don't see Victory. We see defeat. We see casualties when the vessels are defiled. You see? And a person defiles themselves. Just like Achan. He made his choice. God responded, but Achan made his choice. You know, unbeaten, remember our study in Joshua 7, unbeknownst to everybody, nobody knew what Achan did, but the Lord knew. They took casualties and Joshua's praying and the Lord, you know, why are you praying? There's sin in the camp. You got to take care of the sin. So what is the bidding of the Lord? For the warriors, they got to be clean. For the priests, they got to be clean. You see? That's Old Testament. What about New Testament? Well, pastors got to be clean. Elders got to be clean. You see, deacons, bishops, got to be clean. Because only the clean can clean. You see? And that's among amidst the leadership. What about when we look outside of leadership and we look at the pews, we look at the field? Well, same thing. Clean. You say, wait a second, I'm not in a position of cleaning. Okay, I get that. But you're not in a position of cleaning yet. You know, we don't know how the Lord is going to call you. We don't know how the Lord is going to use you. So the Lord might call you into ministry. But don't forget, you say, okay, well, that might never happen. Well, you're right. It might never happen. But we are in a war footing. We are in a war footing. I don't care if you're worker or field. We are in a war footing. And victory only comes. Victory only comes when we're right before the Lord. You ever see Christians? It's like defeat after defeat after defeat after defeat after defeat after defeat. And then they blame Satan. No sympathy for the devil here. But then they blame Satan. Oh, I'm under spiritual attack and Satan is against me and this and that. And, you know, sometimes I wonder. It's like, well, wait a second. I don't see. I don't see Satan. I see a whole lot of poor choices. Oh, I'm under spiritual attack. And oh, yeah, I feel like I'm down in the dirt. It's like, well, why do you feel like you're down in the dirt? Well, you know, I got high with the strippers last night. I was at the casino last night and I was getting drunk. And yeah, I feel like dirt. Pray for me because Satan is against me. It's like, well, wait a second. Okay. In that example, I don't see Satan. I don't see Satan. I see a whole lot of dumb choices. I see a whole lot of poor choices. I see a whole lot of choices that align with the choices of Achan. 
How can a person expect victory? You see? And Achan, Achan's choice, the choice of one man, came at a huge cost to Israel. Came at a huge cost for his home, for his tent. You see? And so we see this war footing. But understand this is Israel according to the flesh. Very important, according to the flesh. You see in verse 10, So the Lord routed them before Israel, killed them with a great slaughter at Gabion, chased them along the road that goes to Beth Horon, and struck them down as far as Ezekah and Makeda. Ezekah translates as tilled. And Makeda translates as speckled or spotted fold. Very interesting what we see here. Very interesting. Because we also see a speckled fold somewhere else in the Bible. Remember our study in the Old Testament? Deeper, deeper, deeper in the history of the Old Testament. And Jacob He also had a speckled fold. And how did he breed? He used branches. He used the branches. Now, if you're Jewish and you're listening, I love you. It is true that the root supports the branch. But, don't forget that photosynthesis is also true. That light is absorbed by the leaves which are on the branches. And I say it like that for a reason. Because most people refer to the Judeo-Christian values symbiotically. But that's baby talk. That's an argument among babies. It's much deeper. Photosynthetically. According to the flesh, we see that Gilgal and Gibeon have very close proximity. 12 and 12 through Joshua. But according to the Spirit, not Gilgal and Gibeon, according to the Spirit, Jew and Gentile, also 12 and 12 through Jesus. You see, the flock and the field of God's doing using his vessels, his vessels. And again, I speak to the Jews. I love you. When the Lord uses his vessels and even himself, the flock and field of God's doing does have Finality. Because there is coming a time when Jesus will have a sickle and there will be a time to reap. All you have to do is read Revelation chapter 14, verse 14 and 15. All these things written of old, as Paul says, a Pharisee, a former Pharisee of Pharisees, formerly a student of Gamaliel, very learned of the law of the stock of Benjamin. And he's the one who says, 
these things of old are written for our admonition. You see? Here in Joshua, Israel is in war footing and it's pre-inheritance according to the flesh. In verse 11, and it happened. As they fled before Israel and were on the descent of Beth Haron, that the Lord cast down large hailstones from heaven on them as far as Azekah, and they died. They were There were more who died from the hailstones than the children of Israel killed with the sword. Then Joshua spoke to the Lord in the day when the Lord delivered up the Amorites before the children of Israel. And he said, In the sight of Israel, sun, stand still over Gibeon, and moon in the valley of Aijalon. That's what Joshua says. Speaking to the Lord in the sight of Israel, he says, Sun, stand still over Gibeon, and moon in the valley of Aijalon. Verse 13. So the sun stood still. And the moon stopped. Now, some scholars equate this to an eclipse. You know, that the sun stood still as the sun stopped shining. That's how they interpret where the sun stood still and the sun stopped shining, which is understandable. I get it. And it also ties to the oldest recorded eclipse. But me, I don't prescribe to that. Because we see the end of verse 13 that the day was extended. And I take it exactly for what the text says, that the day was extended. Now, you might hear me say that and think, okay, this guy's crazy. He's officially off his rocker. This guy is crazy. But I've seen healing people that I could introduce you to who have been healed by the Lord. Not the fake stuff you see on Tricking Believers Nightly, TBN. I'm talking about the real deal. Healing. A missionary. Not the kind you see the run of the mill. I'm talking about a real deal missionary called of the Lord to go into a tribal region. They go into a tribe and they meet a person who gives a glass of poison to him. And all other missionaries in the past have drinking a glass, a, a cup of poison, and they died. And the person who gave was like the uh, the town witch. Except the real deal missionary drinks it, nothing happens to him. And when the townspeople see that nothing happened to him, they kill the witch. These are people that I know that I can introduce you to. You see, miracles that the Lord does. It's not when the Lord says, you know, it's a wicked and cruel generation that seeks after signs and miracles. Uh, 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 It's not like, okay, I'm not going to believe unless I see a miracle. That's not good. But when we believe, understand that miracles do happen. Now, 
where you don't see miracles, a lot of times people make an excuse for that and they excuse their own powerless lives and say, well, you know, the book of Acts, that was for 2,000 years ago. It's not for today. But they're doing just that. They're making up excuses for their own powerless lives. But the Lord does miracles. A guy who's made blind and now he's made to see. Healings that have happened. These are people that I can introduce you to. Miracles do happen. The Lord still works. There is a power of the Holy Spirit. But remember, formula. Formula, 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 formula. It's got to be right. There is a recipe unto holiness. Vessels of the Lord, they have a recipe unto holiness. I read passages like this, and it's not surprising. I mean, you see Joshua, you know, he says and he spoke to the Lord in the sight of Israel in verse 12. And he says, sun, stand still over Gibeon and moon in the valley of Aijalon. And in verse 13, so the sun stood still and the moon stopped. I read passages like this. And for me, it's like, it's not surprising to me because the Lord created all of it. And so sometimes you have, the, you know, people, all the, the, I'm doing my air quotes, but the scholars, well, you know, this aligns to this, this time frame. And, you know, we got to align it here to this time frame, which also aligns to this oldest, uh, 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 the, the, the oldest recorded eclipse and this. They try to explain this and explain that. It's like, well, wait a second. If we follow that logic, then, you know, the sun didn't go down for the whole day, about a whole day, you know, as the text says in, in, in at the end of verse 13. Why can't it be exactly what the text says? Well, in the Hebrew, it says, you know, that the sun stood still. So that means that it just stopped being the sun. It stopped shining as a sun. Well, when you read the Hebrew, it says from the east to the west, there was a stoppage of that movement. When you look at the Hebrew text. Why can't we just take it for face value? Exactly what it says. The text. The Lord does miracles. The Lord absolutely does miracles. But there is a specific recipe. There is a specific formula. Remember, there's no Achan. There's no Achan. When we see here in Joshua 10, no Achan. Achan's been dealt with. And so we see here in verse 13 that the sun stood still and the moon stopped till the people had revenge upon their enemies or translates as punish their enemies. Remember, no Achan. There wouldn't be victory if there was Achan. Achan's been dealt with. Now, you know, the sun stood still and the moon stopped till the people had revenge upon their enemies, which is punish their enemies till Israel punished their enemies. And, you know, when the sun's standing still, if you're listening and you know the effect of an alum round, you know, light comes in handy on the battlefield sometimes. Fire up an alum round and handle business. And I don't say that carnally, but in the subject of warfare, sometimes alum rounds come in pretty handy on the battlefield. Not to sound carnal. 
And so we see here, is this not written in the book of Jasher? Now, there are historical records and kind of like a diary or a chronicle of events. And that's what is referenced here, the book of Jasher. And so we see, so the sun stood still in the midst of heaven. Don't forget, there's three references to heaven. You know, uh, 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 you know that, like when you see like, you know, the, the word heaven, sometimes there's three aspects of heaven. One, one regard of heaven is where the birds fly. The second is where the planets dwell. And then the third is where God dwells. Remember Paul when he had his vision and he says, you know, I don't know what, you know, if I was in the third heaven, you know, I don't know if I was there or if I was not there. Me personally, I think it was there. The third heaven, he's speaking about like, you know, where the Lord is. And so we see the sun stood still in the midst of heaven and did not hasten to go down for about a whole day. So the day was extended. There was an extension of the day where the light, the daylight, the sun stopped. Notice in verse 14. And there had been no day like that before it or after it, that the Lord heeded the voice of a man for the Lord fought for Israel. Very interesting what we see. The Lord fought for Israel. No day like this, before or after, and I'll say yet. Because, according to prophecy, a time is coming where the days, instead of being extended, the days will be shortened. Matthew 24, verse 22. A time is coming where there will be signs with the sun and moon. Revelation chapter 8, verse 12. A time is coming where hailstones will fall. Revelation 16, verse 21. A time is coming where there will be a temporal king bringing peace and prosperity, equity and justice. The Bible refers to such a person as the Antichrist. And a time is coming where the Lord will again fight for Israel. It won't be Joshua. It will be Yeshua, Jesus, Son of the Most High. Now we read these passages of the Old. As New Covenant believers with an understanding of prophecy, and now we see, oh my goodness, this, these, the events of Joshua 10 are happening to teach us and show us a very specific formula within the framework of how God works, how God moves, how God operates, both himself and using his vessels. Whether the vessel is the priesthood or whether the vessel is the warrior. You see, no Aiken. Remember, 
Aiken's been dealt with. No Aiken. Because when there's Aiken, there's no victory. When there is Aiken, there is only defeat. Defeat in the camp. Defeat in the home. Defeat in the family. Where there is Aiken. You see? This is written for our example. And so we see in verse 15, Then Joshua returned, and all Israel with him to the camp at Gilgal. Verse 16, But these five kings had fled and hidden themselves in the cave at Makedah. And it, it was told, and it was told Joshua saying, The five kings have been found hidden in the cave at Makedah. You know, a time is coming where, and you hear us list, you know, the days will be shortened, the signs in the sun of moon and the, the hailstones falling down and all these times are coming. But a time is also coming where hiding in caves will happen again. That's Revelation chapter 6, verse 15. I mean... As New Covenant believers with an understanding of prophecy, we read passages like Joshua 10 and we can see. We see Joshua as a type of Christ. Joshua as a type of Yeshua. Joshua as a type of Jesus. You see? Remember? Joshua and Caleb, the only two of that first generation that has passage into the promised land. The only two. Jesus as a type of Christ. Caleb as a type of spirit. You see? And so we see in verse 18, So Joshua said, Roll large, store, roll large stones against the mouth of the cave and set men by it to guard them. Verse 19. And do not stay there yourselves, but pursue your enemies and attack their rear guard. Do not allow them to enter their cities, for the Lord your God has delivered them into your hand. Remember, this is a war footing, a time of battle. Achan is gone. No Achan. Then it happened in verse 20, while Joshua and the children of Israel made an end of slaying them with a very great slaughter till they had finished that those who escaped entered the fortified cities and all the people returned to the camp to Joshua at Makedah in peace. No one moved his tongue against any of the children of Israel. You see? No one moved his tongue against any of the children of Israel. Because, you know, before battle, they can say all they want. Oh, Joshua, he's this, he's that. Israel, oh, you know what? I don't like them. They, they're just, you know, whatever. They can say whatever they want. But after, it's a different story. Afterward, it's a different story. Because just look at a fight, you know, I'm not, you know, advocating, you know, a carnal fight, but, you know, just like a fight. They can say whatever, before the fight, you know, they could say whatever they want. But after they, after the fight, it's a different story. You see? Now, I don't say that, you know, in a carnal sense, but prophetically speaking, the door of mercy and grace, prophetically speaking, and even today, 
Prophetically speaking, this door of mercy and grace, it's closing. It's closing. I mean, for all these peoples that came against Gibeon and Israel, it's too late. It's too late for them. They made their choice. The door's closed. Judgment has come. But for us, judgment is coming. I don't mean for us, like judgment is coming for us. Even, you know, understanding judgment comes first to the church. So in one sense, judgment is coming to us. But there's when the recipe is right, when the formula is right, there's safety. Just like Paul said to uh, Timothy, you know, sound doctrine for in doing, you know, follow sound doctrine and teach sound doctrine for in so doing, you save yourself and those who hear you. But if you're not a believer, you're listening, you're not a believer. I don't care if you're Jew or Gentile. I mean, I care, but I mean, you know, if you're, if you're not a Christian, you're not a believer and you're Jewish, you're not a Christian, you're not a believer and you're non-Jewish. Be unbelieving no more. Become a believer. You see, balls in your court. I'm just the messenger. I can only teach. You see, and once we understand the scripture, it's like, okay, now the ball's in your court. I can't force anybody to believe. But I can tell, you know, sometimes I get mad at Christianese. Because, you know, some, you know, you, when people speak Christianese, oh, I, I would just encourage you. I would just encourage, you know, speaking to like a Catholic. Oh, I would just encourage you to become a Christian. Or, you know, speaking to, you know, a, 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 a Jewish person or, you know, a Buddhist or, you know, a, a, a alcoholic or, you know, a druggie. Oh, I would just encourage you to be a believer. I get mad at Christianese sometimes. Because it. There's much more urgency behind it. Because you're speaking to an alcoholic, you're speaking to a stripper, you're speaking to a gambler, you're speaking to, you know, Gentile, Jew, non-believing. And it's like, oh, I would just encourage you. Now you put yourself in those shoes of the of, of the person you're speaking to. It's like, well, you know, okay, this guy encourages me. Okay, this lady encourages me. Okay, this girl encourages me. Okay, this boy encourages me. So, you know... I can be a stripper and do this. I can be a gambler and, you know, do this. I can, and there's no urgency behind it. I don't like speaking Christianese in terms of, oh, I would just encourage you to be a believer. No, you're unbelieving. Cut it out. Be unbelieving no more. Look at the prophecies that are happening around us. Look at all the prophecies that are happening. We are living in the times of biblical fulfillment. Now, to hear more about it, if you want to understand more about it, go to the website, thewayunderground.com. There's resources. You can see prophecies that are happening. Understand the prophecies, and you can see everything that's happening. It's like we are living in the days of Noah. We are living in the days of Elijah. I'm not going to speak Christianese and say, you know, I would just encourage you to be a believer. No, I... This is what I say. If you're not a believer, cut it out. Cut it out. Because this door of mercy and grace, it's closing. The Lord makes himself known using his vessels. And praise be to the Lord. But there is coming a time when the Lord will incrementally make himself known. And those days will be perilous. 
Those days will be full of sorrow, and the times of sorrows have already begun. You see? Very important. I mean, you hear me say, you know, if you're an unbeliever, you know, cut it out. And I don't say, you know, cut it out to be mean. But if you die in Buddhism, if you die in Mary, if you die in, you know, a stripper, if you die in the alcohol, if you die in, you know, the crack, if you die in the gambling, if you die in whatever religion and you're with out Christ. We're talking lake of fire. We're talking eternal separation from the Lord. You see? And so sometimes, you know, when people speak Christianese, oh, I would just encourage you, I would just encourage you to become a believer. I would just... It's, it, there's urgency behind it. Because if you die without Jesus Christ, we're talking lake of fire. It's not good. Just like with these peoples, these surrounding peoples where, you know, Israel is inheriting the land. And, you know, they had 40 years to align themselves with the God of Israel. And they didn't do that. Now it's too late for them. You see, God loves you. God loves you. And this door of mercy and grace, it's been open for 2,000 years, give or take a couple years. It's been open. But the Bible says it will not be open forever. It's closing. And I say, come aboard. Jump whatever ship you're on, jump ship and come aboard. While the door is open. You see? You want to commit your life to Jesus Christ? You hit pause. You listen to the message. How to commit your life to Christ. Then you come back and we listen. And we study together. We grow together. We mature together. And we move on to paradise together. In verse 22, then Joshua said, Open the mouth of the cave and bring out those five kings to me from the cave. And they did so and brought out those five kings to him from the cave. The king of Jerusalem, the king of Hebron, the king of Jarmuth, the king of Lachish, and the king of Eglon. So it was when they brought out those kings to Joshua that Joshua called for all the men of Israel. And they said to the captains of the men of war who went with them, come near. Come near, put your feet on the necks of these kings. And they drew near and put their feet on their necks. Then Joshua said to them, do not be afraid nor dismayed. Be strong and of good courage. This is just as the Lord said to Joshua. And now he sang, sang to the captains, to the leadership in the camp. Remember, Achan is gone. No Achan. Achan's been dealt with. The formula is right. And now we see victory. 
Verse 25, for thus the Lord will do to all your enemies against whom you fight. And afterward, Joshua struck them and killed them and hanged them on five trees. And they were hanging on the trees until evening. So it was at the time of the going down of the sun that Joshua commanded. And they took them down from the trees, cast them into the cave where they had been hidden and laid large stones against the cave's mouth, which remain until this very day. In verse 28. On that day Joshua took Makeda and struck it and its king with the edge of the sword. He utterly destroyed them. All the people who were in it, he let none remain. He also did to the king of Makeda as he had done to the king of Jericho. Then Joshua passed from Makeda. And all Israel with them to Libna, and they fought against Libna. And the Lord also delivered it and its king into the hand of Israel. He struck it, and all the peoples who were in it with the edge of the sword, he let none remain in it, but did to its king as he had done to the king of Jericho. It's very, 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 very important to understand. Understand that this is Israel is in war footing. And yes, they are having victory led by Joshua. But this is according to the flesh. According to the flesh. No Achan. Achan's been dealt with. Achan is the formula for defeat and retreat. And this is Israel according to the flesh. For us, for you and me today, according to the Spirit, there is a way of Achan which must be addressed. The best way? Repentance. Repentance. Let's get you cleaned up. When the way of Achan is found in the camp, it must be addressed. And you might be listening, and the way of Achan is found in you. Let's get you cleaned up. Repentance is required. To be clean, to be pure, repentance is required. Be it the sex, the drugs, the alcohol, the whatever it is, the Buddha, the the gambling, the extortion. You know, we just study extortion on Sunday. The way of Achan. It's got to be addressed. Let's get you cleaned up. Repent, 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 repent. Because without repentance, that's the worst way. To address Aiken. And it's not pretty. It's not pretty. Because you know we're talking lake of fire. The door to the lake of fire is open. When Aiken. The way of Aiken is not addressed. You see pastors need to teach. Pastors need to. You know explain and teach. And pour into the saints. So that the saints can know. Like okay this is the way of Aiken. You know, a young kid, a, a 10-year-old kid can learn, okay, uh, uh, a guy who doesn't provide for his family, you know, the, the Bible says he's worse than a, a non-believer. We just studied that last week or a couple weeks ago in our study in Timothy, pastoral epistles. 
You know, those are widows and, you know, those who are really widows because a young widow or the inclinations according to the flesh. And there's a special, you know, formula. Because remember, pastors are very forward looking. And when the way of Achan, be it male or female, when it's not addressed, well, it's not a pretty picture. You see, pastors need to teach the, a 10 year old boy can learn, okay, you know, if I get married and if I meet the, you know, my wife or, you know, the, who I'm going to, who's going to be my wife or, you know, I hope she is if she says yes, you know, but when a kid hears that, he can understand, okay, I'm not going to be a loser. You know, I'm not going to, you know, be a loser and, you know, not provide for my family. I'm not going to be a dork and a loser. So I'm going to honor the Lord and, you know, I got to provide for my family. You see, a kid can hear that and grow up and do exactly that in accordance to what is pleasing to the Lord because he desires to be a sweet aroma unto the Lord. You see? But what happens when Achan hears it? Oh, I don't like this guy. I don't like this pastor. I don't like this guy. He's so mean because, look, I do my sex and he says that that's bad. Look, I do my crack and he says that's bad. He's so judgmental. Look, I do my uh, uh, extortion and he says that's bad. You know, when Aiken speaks, understand that Aiken speaks. Understand who it is when Aiken speaks. Because there's a lot of Aikens who have never been addressed. I'm talking about in the camp of the church. There's a lot of Aikens who have never been addressed. Why? I'm, you know, I don't look at the pews. I look at the pulpit. Who's their teacher? Who's the pastor? Who in the world is the pastor? You see? Because the saints need to know the word of God so that they can make a choice. Balls in their court. You see? So the Aikens can be cleaned up. Remember, in accordance to the law, there's a door that where Achan can be made right. According to the law, there is a specific passageway that leads to rightness with the Lord. But Achan didn't do that. I mean, if you're listening for the first time, make sure you listen to our prior study in Joshua 7. You'll understand more. But he didn't do that. Now look, he's dead. And he's not dead alone. Because there were casualties in, in the war, in, in the battle of Ai, there were casualties, first campaign. But not only that, his sons and daughters, dead. You see? You say, well, that's Old Testament. You know, that's what I'm talking about with the detachment. When we read with a detachment, don't do that. Because when we read the Old Testament as New Covenant believers, we have a deeper understanding of what the way of Achan is, be it sex, drugs, rock and roll, the whole nine yards. And there's a very specific pathway to rightness with the Lord. And we got to get you cleaned up. We got to get you cleaned up so that you can be right with the Lord. And that we as one can have victory. But before the victory, it's because we want to be a sweet aroma unto the Lord. 
You can have victory yourself. You can have victory in your home. You can have victory in your, you know, your work, in your marriage, in your work, and wherever you go, you can have victory upon 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 victory. Look at the victory that we're seeing right now in Joshua 10. Victory upon victory upon victory upon victory. But you know what we see? No Aiken. You see? No Aiken. It's, it's so simple. It's so simple. Let's continue in verse 31. Then Joshua passed from Libna and all Israel with them to Lachish, and they encamped against it and fought against it. Now, remember in verse 20 where the people fled to their fortifications. And now we see, like in these fortifications, there, you know, it's, it's a time, you know, the battle is coming to them now. Look at the reversal here. How the, the, this coalition was formed against the, the, the against Gibeon. They look out the window and they see, wow, these guys, they don't want to play hopscotch. They want to kill us. And then they cry out, you know, come now. They cry out to Joshua. And Joshua comes. It's beautiful. And so we see in verse 32, And the Lord delivered Lachish into the hand of Israel, who took it on the second day and struck it with and struck it and all the people who were in it with the edge of the sword, according to all that he had done to Libna. Now, I can't stress this enough. This is Israel according to the flesh, 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 flesh. And we emphasize this because many Christians today are fighting carnally. Carnally. And a spiritual war cannot be won carnally. You see? A spiritual battle cannot be won carnally. A spiritual fight cannot be won carnally. It can only be done spiritually. It's spiritual warfare. And in spiritual warfare, in spiritual combat, in spiritual hand-to-hand warfare, combat, you, my beautiful brother, you, my beautiful sister, you can have victory upon victory upon victory upon victory upon victory. And I don't say that in a prideful sense. But it's the reality of who we are in Christ. It's the reality of the power of the Holy Spirit. Victory upon victory upon victory. Because the Bible says, no weapon formed against you shall prosper. But when we understand formula and recipe... It's how certain promises are effectuated. Outside of that, no victory. And that's what you see in the church today. You see Christians, no victory. You see Christians, no power. Who in the world are their teachers? Who in the world are their pastors? Pastors who teach, oh, the Holy Spirit doesn't do that anymore. The Holy Spirit, that was done 2,000 years ago. They have no business at the pulpit. You see? 
They have no business at the pulpit. And so we see here in verse 33 in closing. Then Horam, king of Gezer, came up to help Lachish, and Joshua struck him and his people, and he left him none remaining. You see, leadership matters. Leadership matters because you have the, the king of Gezer. He comes to help Lachish, and now look, now he's dead. You see, leadership matters. Who is with the Lord? But I'll say this even a better way. Who is the Lord with? You see, who is the Lord with? I mean, we see Joshua who's with the Lord and the Lord is with him. You see this beautiful intimacy. It just so happens that we're in our pastoral epistles on Sundays. Leadership matters. Remember, it's the Lord who leaked the pastoral epistles. Paul writes a a letter, one-on-one letter. Paul writes a letter to Timothy, and it got leaked. We read it. He writes a letter to Titus, and it leaked. Who leaked it? The Lord. Because he wants us to know who it is safe to submit ourselves to. Because Israel in submission to Joshua, for them it is safe. Israel in submission to submission to Joshua and the elders, it is safe. They have victory upon victory upon victory. Achan dealt with. But we're going to see when Joshua and the elders, when they die, almost immediately apostasy enters you see they have elders they have a they have a form of leadership but the formula is not right in leadership and then you're going to quickly see how apostasy enters the camp because leadership matters formula matters recipe matters and i'm not talking package one package two i'm talking real deal i'm talking full package see and so in verse 34 in closing from Lachish Joshua passed to Eglon and all Israel with them and they encamped against it and fought against it then or, or they took it on that day you see victory is quick it's not like you know they're in a campaign in war and you know war footing and they're fighting for months and years no It's like, you know, this day we're taking this town. Next day we're taking this town. This day we're taking this town. And, you know, it's like victory upon victory upon victory. We see in verse 35, and struck it with the edge of the sword. All the people who were in it, he utterly destroyed that day, according to all that he had done to Lachish. So Joshua went up from Eglon and all Israel with them to Hebron and they fought against it and they took it and struck it with the edge of the sword. Its king, all its, its, all its cities and all the people who were in it, he left none remaining according to all that he had done to Eglon, but utterly destroyed it and all the people who were in it. Don't forget that these people in these cities, in these towns, in these fortifications. The time to align themselves with the God of Israel, it's over. That was yesterday. 
That was yesterday. That was the week before. That was the month before. That was the year before. That was the decade before. That was for the past 40 years, the time to align themselves to the God of Israel, to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, whose name was changed to Israel, to the Lord Almighty. The time to align themselves to him and make peace with Joshua. It's over. Now it's a time of judgment for these peoples. You see? And when we read chapter 10, not just chapter 10, but, you know, all the Old Testament, but, you know, when we read as New Covenant believers, we have this deeper understanding that, yes, this door of mercy and grace is closing. It's closing. And we see in verse 38, Then Joshua returned and all Israel with them to Debir, and they fought against it. And he took it and its king and all its cities. They struck them with the edge of the sword and utterly destroyed all the people who were in it. He left nothing remaining as he had done to Hebron. So he did to Debir and its king. As he had done also to Lebna and its king. So Joshua conquered all the land the mountain country and the south and the lowland and the wilderness slopes and all their kings. He left nothing remaining but utterly destroyed all that breathed as the Lord God of Israel had commanded. And Joshua conquered them from Kadesh Barnea as far as Gaza and all the country of Goshen, even as far as Gibeon. All these kings and their land Joshua took at one time because the Lord God of Israel fought for Israel. Then Joshua returned, and all Israel with them, to the camp at Gilgal. Understand that there will be a repetition of this war footing. It won't be with Joshua. It will be with Yeshua. It will be with Jesus, son of the Most High God. Peace with him is easy. Peace with him is easy. Repent. Be born again. Commit your life to Christ. Peace with him is easy. Rightness with him has a very specific formula. You see? And we see this repetition of this war footing that will be with Jesus. Yes, there. It's for a future time when there is a future inheritance. When the first generation must die, but the second generation has passage. But even now, even today, even right here, right now, in spiritual warfare, You see, remember our study in Matthew, how the demonic realm, when a man is freed of a demon, but that demon comes back. He comes back and checks on things and then he sees, okay, the guy's on spiritual vacation. He's not hardcore. He's not rolling on the mat, learning how to fight. He's not taking this warfare seriously. So the demon goes back 
and he gets some of his demon friends that are worse than him. And then they return. And the Bible says the state of that man is worse than the beginning. You see? Victory in spiritual warfare, in spiritual combat, it can be fast and it can be swift. But a person must be trained. A person must be taught. A person must be equipped. I don't care if you're male, female, young, old. You can be trained, taught, and equipped. Understanding formula, 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 formula for victory. In the name of our Lord Jesus. You see? Because this spiritual warfare, it's going to intensify. It's, it, it's already intensifying, but it's going to get worse and worse and worse. It's going to get darker and darker and darker. And the Bible says that Satan knows his time is short. The demons know. And so what do they do? They intensify their efforts. Meanwhile, the church is asleep. But there is a remnant. See, we're going to end our study here, Lord willing, pick up in chapter 11 next week. But to the beautiful, beautiful, beautiful people of the way, a remnant of these last days. God bless you. I love you.